Sometimes it feels like the sun will never rise, like the birds will never sing. That's right. When you don't know what to do, just keep on breathing. From the City of Angels in Los Angeles, and typically we would have our New York connection, but Adrian Gruberg will not be able to make it today. But we welcome all our listeners out there in Radio Land anyway. I'm Dave the Caregiver's Caregiver at caregiverdave.com. And we're coming to you live and on demand 24-7 on 25 global audio and video platforms, including iHeartRadio, iTunes, YouTube, Facebook Live, SoundCloud, Blog Talk Radio, and 20 more other platforms around the world. And we're so proud to be voted the number one caregiver podcast of the top 50 on Player FM and one of the top six best podcasts on caring.com, as well as number three podcasts out of thousands of caregiver podcast on Feedspot. And we have an exciting show planned for you today. Born and raised in Iran, Pantia. Pantea. Did I say that right? Let me check. <laughs> Pantea. Yes? Pantea. Pantea. I forgot the... the uh, see, this is why we... We have a taped show, Panta, accent on the first syllable, Vahidi. Okay. And we have an exciting show planned for you today. Panta, Vahidi, grew up during a revolution and a war that she says shaped much of her perspectives on life. She became an engineer, graduating from UCSD. That's San Diego, for those of you who don't know. And about two decades and three children later, she went back to school and became a registered nurse. She has since been practicing as a cardiac medical surgical nurse as well as a caregiver. But before we get started, I want to take this moment to thank my last week's guest, Monique Chapman. And just a reminder, you can watch or listen to that interview and all our interviews on our membership website, caregiverdave.com, and all the 25 global platforms we're on. All right, enough of that. Welcome to the show. Thank you. (laughs) You got it. Practice makes perfect. Thank you. So excited to have you on. Why don't you take a minute or two and introduce yourself? I'd like to ask my guest just who is Panta'a Vahidi and why were you put on this earth? I love answering that question. Oh, good. I am a caregiver at heart and I think, I believe I was put on this earth to relieve suffering for people who are in any sort of pain, and pain isn't just physical, it could be emotional. And that's why I pivoted from being an engineer to becoming a nurse later in life, because I got in touch with my purpose, and that's when I made the shift. Well, that's a great answer. So... (laughs) How long have you been in this country? I've gone back and forth. Um, It hasn't been a certain clear-cut year that I moved here and I stayed Mm -hmm. here. I've gone back and forth ever since I was six years old. 
but if I want to do the math, I've been in the U.S. for about a third of my life, mm. and I've been in Iran for two-thirds of my life. And what's your nationality? I mean, where were, were you born in the Middle East? I was born and raised in Tehran, which is the mm. capital of Iran. So I know a lot of Persians because I'm in the gas station business, and there's a lot of them in the gas station business. So let's talk about caregiving. What's your biggest lesson that caregiving has taught you? But first of all, I'd like you to ask, I'd like to ask you, how did you get involved in caregiving? Did it just fall into your lap? It sure did. <laughs> uh, as far back as I can remember, I've been a caregiver. Wow. So like I said, I grew up during the war back in Iran, and those were some hard times. Mm. My mom was having some health issues, and as far back as I can remember, I was eight, I believe, when my mom was um, having a lot of anxiety for everything that was happening. And I found myself um, being there to console her, being there to kind of guide her through through it. And as an eight-year-old, I didn't have any knowledge or education, and I just basically looked within and connected on a human level to try to comfort her through her anxiety mm. attacks um, that she was having. You know, later in life, it was my grandmother who was um, ill with dementia, and as life went on, I had other roles uh, of caregiving that I've taken on, which I will share that although it has fallen on my lap, I have embraced it, and I have learned a lot, and I believe I've become a better version of myself through that. Mm, what was the process you went through? Did you ever... Was there a time in your life, even younger, that you resented being a caregiver? That you said, why is this, why am I, you know, the one who's uh, stuck doing this and, and others are not? You know, why do, why do I have the burden? Or maybe you didn't have the burden. Explain what was going on in your mind as you were going from care receiver to care receiver, etc. Because a lot of people feel guilty and resentful when they have thoughts like that. And, and we just want to know, is it normal? Uh, I've definitely had those days, mm. definitely. <laughs> um, you wanted an honest answer, and yeah, I'm not going to sugarcoat it and say, no, I was the saint <clears throat> that loved every minute of it. Uh, I've definitely had those days, and I learned what helps the best is a change in perspective. It's a mm. change of perspective and thinking that is not a burden, that it's your privilege, and that it's it's in a way a choice. Um, yeah. We all have a choice, even if it's a family member. We have a choice of, you know, not taking on that role. So when you mm -hmm. feel like you've made a choice to be that person, it instantly makes you feel empowered. And whether you look at it as a burden or a privilege makes all the difference. I love what Wayne Dyer says, that when... You change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Mm, I like that. And when you look at that as a privilege and learn to embrace it, the whole experience shifts. 
Uh, perspective is everything. And I bet you had to constantly remind yourself, wait, 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 why am I doing this? Oh, yes. <laughs> the higher call, the higher purpose. Uh, you know, it's interesting. Um, I also have recollections of the uh, Iranian war when the Shah was deposed because I was on the other side of the globe and it affected me greatly. Um, you in a bad way, me in a good way, because all of these Persians were flying to the United States, fleeing uh, Khomeini, and they had suitcases full of money. You know, there were doctors and engineers and lawyers, and what did they want to do with all that money? They wanted to buy a gas station. <laughs> and so I had a gas station, a dumpy old gas station in North Hollywood, California, and um, it wasn't worth much. I had like five years left on a seven-year lease. And they wanted to pay me like $10,000 for this lease, and I couldn't believe it. I said, really? Yes, yes, yes. And I said, why? It's because I want a gas station. And um, so I was able to take that money and parlay it into a, a much nicer gas station where I'm still at today. So uh, it, it was it was just a very sad time, you know, and Carter and the, uh, the hostages and... Uh, Glad those days are over, 20% inflation and uh, interest rates. But I bet it was <laughs> really, really bad if you were st stuck there or had to go through it because you're not one of the ones who left, right? You had to kind of go through that stuff. Yeah, I was, uh, I was in Iran when all this was happening. Wow. Uh, my two older siblings were in San Diego at the time, and I used to come visit them when we could with my parents, but I primarily lived in Iran. So I went through all the bombings and I went through those nights of uh, hearing the sirens go off at 2 a.m. and uh, hearing on the radio that the Iraqi aircraft is approaching. And we never knew if we're going to be alive in three minutes or not because they gave us a three-minute warning. And we all just kind of hugged each other in the living room and waited to see what happens and frantically started calling everyone as soon as we counted three bombs drop. So those wow. were very uncertain times and I tell my friends that it actually had a lot of the common qualities of what we've been going through with COVID-19 pandemic yeah. uh, because at the core of it, it's uncertainty that human beings do not like not knowing what's going to happen when you wake up tomorrow morning is essentially yeah. um, a feeling that no human being is particularly appreciative of. Yeah, That's right. I forgot that you actually went through an Iraqi war in addition to a civil war. So it's like, wow. And you were a caregiver. I'm not sure which is worse. but. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, in hindsight, when I think back... <laughs> Like you said in your introduction, it was definitely challenging, but when I look back at those times, uh, it brings a smile to my face. Mm. And it goes back to the perspective subject we just discussed, because during those times, uh, all of our friends and family gathered um, in one place so that they could all be together and oftentimes we used music and someone would play the piano, other people would sing, and we had nightly gatherings and all of the family would sleep in the living room together so that the when the sirens right. went off, we would 
jump and run. So in a way, when I look back, what I remember is the togetherness and, and those yeah. warm feelings. And I believe being connected with others and having a sense of community is what gets you through adversity. Yeah, and I'm Middle Eastern also, and so I was raised listening. My father loved Syrian music, and it was playing all the time. And, and every, every time I try, I listen to it, it just takes me back to those days. And my kids say, what do you listen to that stuff for? You know, and I used to say that when I was younger. Says, Why do we always have to listen to Syrian music? But it just, it just brings you together, you know, there's just something about it. So I totally get what you're saying. Um, what do you believe is the key to surviving the darkest times, not only of war, but of caregiving? Sometimes there's caregiving is war. <laughs> um, I believe the key to surviving it is knowing that you can do it and believing in your intrinsic power to love yourself and love the person you're taking care of through it. And there are dark moments and dark nights that you're going to cry yourself to sleep and you have to embrace those as well and know that when you wake up tomorrow morning, you're going to have a recharged fuel tank of emotions and you're going to mm -hmm. be able to get through it. So. I believe everything we need to care for others is readily accessible within us. Yeah. Now, my, my mother and my mother-in-law both had dementia as well. I was their caregivers in addition to my wife, who suffered a stroke, lost her speech, became paralyzed. I used to think that that was the worst thing that could happen, to lose your speech, you know, the very thing that separates us from the animals, until my mother had dementia. And I said, no, 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 this is much worse to not know who you are and to wonder, you know, why this is happening to you and why doesn't God just take me? Uh, of all the ailments that your loved ones had, would you agree that dementia, there's, it's kind of in its own category, it's really, really bad? It is um, in a sense that you lose the person before you lose them the body physically yeah before you lose them to death you lose them you don't they don't know you you don't know them and um it's just they perish right in front of your eyes and it's very difficult to see that and yeah. i think the only thing i've learned to um calm myself through that journey is to know that we're making it easier for them and we're mm -hmm. making it a little less difficult for them. And yeah. again, going back on thinking, it's a privilege for us to be able to care for them through this journey. Right. And that's where I think uh, an advanced directive or a living will is very important because, you know, many times the medical community wants to just keep this person with dementia or Alzheimer's alive and let them just live as long as they can when they keep saying, no, I don't want to keep living this way. And and so when an opportunity comes, for example, let's say they forget to uh, know how to remember how to swallow, et cetera, or they need a tube now for feeding, 
that's a great opportunity to put in your advanced directive. I don't want to be on a ventilator. I don't want to have a tube shoved down my throat, et cetera, et cetera. And that's how my mother finally was able to leave this earth, which was her will, because she had that uh, very important paperwork. Otherwise, <laughs> she may still be alive today uh, with a low quality of life. How do, how do you feel about that quality of life versus leaving? That's that's a tough subject, and I say that because of my role as a nurse in the hospital. I've seen both kinds. I've seen people who choose to hang on to life, and I've seen people who have said, you know what, the minute I need a feeding tube, I'm going to need to leave. And I've seen caretakers and family members at the bedside that, like you said, absent an advanced directive, have had the burden of making those choices and not knowing if they can live with themselves for the rest of their life. It's it's a very heavy decision to make. I remember yeah. once, um, ironically, his name was Dave, and mm -hmm. his his dad went from being completely independent, doing his own grocery, going on daily walks, to suddenly going into acute organ failure and mm. becoming completely sedated and was not arousable. We couldn't actually get him to talk. And he was struggling with that. And when the doctors walked in and said, you know, he's septic, organs are failing one after one, mm. should we put a feeding tube in or should we wait? The the family member was just confused and um, yeah. luckily that person did have an advance directive and he went home and got it and that made things a lot better but not everybody does have that. Yeah, because it's, it's, it's a lot of guilt having all that responsibility put on the caregiver, the loved one, because all of a sudden they're saying, oh no, you know, what would my loved one want? And if they didn't fill out that paperwork, they would never know. And then there's other, there's no shortage of other family members to throw the guilt on you and say, no, you're killing him, blah, 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 you know. So, yeah, it sounds like you and I are both uh, in favor of advanced directives because it's, after all, your life. You should decide how you want to live and how you want to die. And with that, we'll take a break and we'll be right back. So don't go away. We are a community of caregivers that understands and supports you wherever you are in your journey. We are a place to connect with other caregivers, but more importantly, a place to get practical, actionable help. There are lots of ways for you to get support. First of all, you can download our welcome pack. This will get you started on your Thrive journey. Next, you can ask and get answers to your questions by posting them here in our private Facebook groups. You can also get live online support by attending one of our live Weekly Connect webinars. You can get practical, actionable advice by listening to our weekly podcast. You can hear and read other stories about other caregivers' experiences. Plus, add your own in our weekly Share Your Story forum, posted every Tuesday in the Facebook group. You can access essential resources and download practical Thrive Solutions Packs all of which are geared to help you thrive as a caregiver. You get lifetime access to all of our resources. Again, we're here to support you and help you thrive and to enjoy your life as a caregiver.
And remember, this is a place to get hope, not just cope. And we're back on the Caregiver Dave Show. I'm Dave Nassani with my guest, Pantaha Vahidi. Did I say that first name right? Panta. You're getting better. Panta. So uh, we're talking about burnout. That's the title of the show. So when did you first, I'm assuming you did, when did you first experience that terrible thing called burnout and how did it happen and how did you get out of it? I... Yeah, take a breath before you answer that. <laughs> exactly. I don't remember exactly when was the first time that I felt it, but it's basically a part of caregiving and it comes in the package. Um, it's interesting, I've done a lot of, being a science geek, I've done a lot of research on burnout and compassion fatigue Oh, and there's so many different characteristics that they list for them. But um, a few of the ones, namely in literature, is emotional exhaustion, feeling desensitized, mm -hmm. feeling calloused, and having no hope. And I believe that we all need hope to live. That's something I've learned at the bedside. What keeps people alive is hope. So the way I've overcome that is that I've came up with ways and mechanisms on how I've created a purpose and a hope for myself at every stage of caregiving. I'll share with you a short story of a caregiver at the bedside, the patient was an elderly patient with Alzheimer's, mm -hmm. and she had a lot of muscle stiffness, and her daughter was at the bedside, and she was not alert. Um, she would respond to her daughter once in a while, but she was not completely alert. And the daughter was crying and was really trying to keep her mom alive. And when she she came to me and she said she would come to the nurse's station frequently and ask for things. And she was very restless. And finally I went to her and I said, do you want to talk? Uh, what is it that you're so anxious about? And she said, you know, I'm in my 40s and I'm taking care of my mom and I don't have kids and I'm not married. I have a very successful career, but she's the only one I have. And in that moment, I realized that she has identified with being a caregiver and she has no other identity for herself. Mm -hmm. And when you identify as a caregiver, which is completely fine, but if that's your only identity and things are not going well, and you're having a difficult day, you're going to feel a lot more burnout than, the, than mm -hmm. you need to because you have nothing else to fall on. So the so one thing I've learned that helps is to create other purpose, if you will, mm -hmm. or other areas of life that give meaning, and that actually helps alleviate the burnout. Yeah, you bring up a very good point because a lot of people do get consumed in their caregiving duties and responsibilities and pretty soon 
they take on this identity, well, I'm a caregiver, even on a subconscious level. And then when that loved one dies, oh my God, you talk about depression, they don't know what to do with themselves. Now their whole identity has has just evaporated and, and they ask questions like, well, now what do I do, you know? And they get plunged into this deep depression and then they start feeling guilty. I could have done more. Maybe it's my fault, this and that. And so you're right. You need to start, um, I like to say, I have a care formula, C-A-R-E, communicate with others. Don't isolate yourself. Don't uh, don't talk about caregiving all the time because people don't want to hang around and hear all the horror stories that you went through today. Save that for a com uh, caregiver support group. That's what they're there for. You can both vent on each other. And then A is ask for help and be specific. You know, don't don't feel like you've got to do this all by yourself. And R is rest. Get eight hours rest every single night. Uh, average caregiver only gets two or three. I can't survive on that. And then E, eat healthy, nutritious food. Don't eat junk food. Got chemicals, sugar, processed ingredients. All that stuff will kill you. And uh, a lot of caregivers just don't take care of themselves. And so, therefore, when their loved one dies, they're a wreck. So you bring up a very, very good point because um, there are support groups for for aftercare to help people work through this. But it's so much better to do that while you're a caregiver and, and get all that done. You can eliminate one or two years of therapy <laughs> by not uh, waiting too long to come to the uh, realization of what are the symptoms of burnout and all my on my website, caregiverdave.com, we've got a, a free quiz you can take. Are you a candidate for burnout? And it'll give you a score, and it'll help you to uh, learn how to improve your score and everything. And that's why we have a support group. Uh, did a support group ever do anything for you? I mean, did you attend one? Did it help? Um, I did not have a professional support group mm -hmm. and I was not part of a caregiver community and I think the people in your community are so fortunate to have that. Mm. Uh, having not had that, I know how essential that is. I looked to my family and friends for emotional support. Did you get it? And I I did. Okay. Um, but I will add a but in, in that <laughs> sentence. Emotional support is crucial. None of us can survive without it. But we also need professional guidance. We also need knowledge. We also need to know what to do next. Some, sometimes in my own journey, I've sat on my bed and I've literally raised my hands and said, can someone just tell me what to do next? Like, I just need guidance. I, I need to be coached by someone who's knowledgeable in this disease yeah. process or on this journey and can tell me what to do. Because it's great to vent. It's great to cry with a friend. It's great to share your problems. It definitely makes you feel lighter. But at the end of the day, after half an hour of crying, you need to get up and figure out what to do. So... I think aside from emotional support, you also need guidance. And yeah. I think what you're providing for caregivers is just gold. Yeah, you need someone who's been there, done that, and say, okay, listen, I totally get, I understand, I've been there, and here's what I did, maybe it will help, and so on. 
And that's why support is so... I wish I had me <laughs> when I was a caregiver. I, I'm still a caregiver, but I mean in the beginning. I mean, we go through the grief process. Uh, mine was like two and a half to three years uh, of just hell, you know, because my wife was angry most of the time and I was the only one to receive all that anger. Uh, I think spousal caregivers have a more difficult job because you're wearing two hats. This is the person you married and now they're not the same person that they were, and and now you know you're not getting any love or affection or appreciation, and and uh, we almost broke up, but we hung in there, and I'm glad we did, and that caused me to realize that well maybe there's other caregivers out there who are going through the same uh, pain and sorrow and isolation that I was, and maybe I can help them. That's when I became Dave the caregiver's caregiver. So what are you doing to help caregivers besides? This interview, uh, did you like uh, make it your mission to help caregivers, or is this just uh, a great interview that we're having here, and and uh, or is this the beginning of something new for you? I don't know. I like I said, I believe I was put on this earth to alleviate suffering for as many people as I can, and mm -hmm. um, you know, my life is a testament to that. Also, the profession I chose deliberately later in life um, but it got to a point that in my journey at the bedside I realized that what I'm mostly interested in it's not to just give meds or change the dressing or take care of someone's body but to take care of someone's soul and emotional mm. needs because they're always underlying the physical pain and the feedback I got from my patients and patients' families was that I have a way of seeing other people's pain and helping them step out of that suffering. So then it became my mission to not just support people who are ill, but mm -hmm. to also support their caregivers. Because like you're titled, you know, every caregiver needs a caregiver. Yeah. Um, and so now what I do is I'm also a care coach, which uh, guides and supports awesome. caregivers and healthcare workers to go through that journey of caregiving and find the emotional resilience to be hopeful and purposeful and fulfilled while they're on this journey, rather than feeling defeated and oh I'm stuck with this and it's a burden why did I end up with this I can't get out of it to go to you know this is a privilege I chose it and I'm going to change my perspective and I'm going to process my emotions um, and I truly enjoy what I do I've I've been able to see some amazing transformations in people and one of the key things that I bring from my nursing background into it is the knowledge I have about the different disease processes because knowledge as they say is power mm -hmm. and sometimes that knowledge can save a life so I'm very passionate about this and just like you said I love what you said it's what I tell my friends I've become the person I wish I had mm -hmm. which was not only a support person to listen to me but also someone to give me practical guidance of 
someone who's walked the walked, someone who's felt what you're feeling, someone who knows what confusion and overwhelm and self-doubt feels like because those are real. Not knowing if you're doing the best you can and the guilt associated with it and feeling guilt guilty to take time for yourself when someone else depends on you, those are real feelings. And I think it's crucial for every caregiver to to have a guide and to have a support system. Otherwise, we were not meant to do this alone. That's that's what I've learned. And we're supposed to hold each other's hands through through this journey. Yeah, you know, I sense that you are uh, a wonderful nurse. Uh, do you still are you still a nurse? I am. So you're still working. Yeah, if I was in the hospital, I would want you as my nurse because I can just tell you just reek of empathy and compassion and wisdom and you're very calming and uh, it, it's a gift. You know, not everyone should be a nurse. <laughs> There's that a lot means of... a lot to me coming from you, which is which you're the ultimate caregiver with a big heart and a lot of empathy. My hat goes off to you for what you've done for, for your wife and your mom and, and this community. I truly am inspired by you. Well, nurses deserve all the kudos out there, especially during what they've gone through with the COVID-19, et cetera. But we've all had a nurse uh, while we were in the hospital that uh, was a little much because, number one, it's not their fault. They were overworked. These hospitals overworked the nurses, understaffed, underpaid and uh, you know I can see as I think back every time I've been in the hospital for a surgery or something there was always at least one nurse that was classical burnout symptoms you know and the it's like oh my god this person needs a vacation from the job that she supposedly went into because she loves you know but um, I can tell that uh, you would be the result of a nurse who constantly um, tries to monitor burnout so that they would never get to that point. You know, we all have phones. Sometimes my phone will say 10%. So I better plug it in, and then I get distracted. Now it's 2%. Now it's flashing 1%. And that's what what we do when we burn out, we forget to take care of our essential needs and now this phone's going to let me down right in the middle of a phone call or something. Or our cars need gasoline and it's on empty and now it's flashing and now you're stuck in the middle of traffic somewhere. That's the time to not do it. You've got to think in advance and plan for burnout, plan so that you don't end up that way. I love the analogies you used with the phone battery and with the mm -hmm. gasoline, which I believe comes <laughs> from owning a gas station. Yeah. I, Don't ask I, me how many times I have run out of gas and I own a gas <laughs> station because I'd be too embarrassed to tell you. <laughs> um, I love using analogies. And yes. the reason me why too. is because there are ideas in life that are abstract and mm. they're not tangible. And one of the things that's very abstract is people's emotional state and their emotional needs. And those are oftentimes overseen because they're not tangible. Um, you know, 
we as nurses or just human beings, if we see a person on the street that's collapsed and is, you know, bleeding out, we either approach to help or we call 911 because we see it with our eyes. But in the hospital or outside the hospital when there is a caregiver or a patient that's emotionally bleeding out, right. we don't see that. And we don't always know that we need to help them because we don't see it with our eyes. But the reality is that anybody that's going through an illness, be it physical or mental, there's also the emotional component that they're bleeding out emotionally. And if you can see that and if you can pause and if you can remind yourself that this person is suffering mm -hmm. and I'm here to relieve their suffering and if they're angry and if they're agitated and if they're feeling, if they're coming across bossy and they're telling me what to do and they're borderline rude sometimes, it's all because of their suffering. Right. You know, one of the books that really helped me, the title itself is very telling, is Hurt People Hurt People. If you're hurting and if you're suffering and if you're in pain, chances are you're going to project that pain and suffering on someone else. And it takes immense self-control and mindfulness and non-judgment and compassion to be able to pause and instead of absorbing that behavior, just observe it and let it be what it is and see that that person's truly suffering. And when you look at them as someone that's suffering, you're just more tempted to want to help rather mm -hmm. than judge them. So I find that to be, going back to burnout, another one of the keys in overcoming burnout. You know, we don't always get the luxury one-week vacation to refuel, mm -hmm. but if we can just change our perspective and the way we look at everything, that is immediate relief of burnout right there. Wow. You know, you have such uh, an insight uh, into the pain that other nurses, which are really caregivers, are going through. Uh, are you considering writing a book? I mean, I can just see uh, you teaching and having seminars, uh, just helping caregivers and nurses to just cope with their jobs so that they thrive and don't just survive this thing. Uh, great, great gift, great talent. Um, I hope you're going to be writing a book. I hope you're going to be doing classes and, and just helping these, these precious nurses that we have out there. It's interesting you say that. I'm actually, I am writing a book. And, Yay! Uh, <laughs> it's, it's even titled The Alchemy of Compassion. The alchemy. Yeah. Define and, that word for me. So being Iranian or Persian, as you call it, um, yeah. I grew up in a land of poetry. So I read a lot of poetry by Rumi, by Hafez. 
And one of the poems that I grew up with my dad reciting it repeatedly, which became one of my mantras, was um, compassion turns thorns into flowers. And it's, or transforms, if you will. It's wow. not as beautiful when you say it in English, but the the Farsi version, believe it or sure. not, actually rhymes. And <laughs> I believe, I truly believe in that compassion transforms. I've seen it at the bedside. I've seen it in my own life. But when I say compassion, there's a particular definition to it. Some people confuse compassion with empathy, but compassion is a lot more vast than just empathy. Empathy is understanding someone else's pain. Compassion is two steps. It's understanding someone else's pain and doing something about it. Mm. And I've broken down in my book and in my coaching programs that I help people with this, I've helped break down that kind of action that you take in response to someone's pain mm -hmm. into three categories. You either respond to it, or you relieve their pain, or you resolve their pain. Mm. And again, with my clients, I go through how each of those steps can look like. And one of the favorite quotes I love with um, from St. Francis is that it's in giving that we receive. Yeah. So I personally actually am completely against the phrase compassion fatigue. I think it's a contradiction in terms. Mm -hmm. It's like putting the word love and hate next to each other. You can't get fatigued from being compassionate. Mm. Um, so I stay away from that term because when you tell someone you have compassion fatigue, immediately they think, okay, so I should stop being compassionate right. to stop feeling compassion <laughs> fatigue. Burnout is a different story. So back to the meaning of alchemy and that poem that was the inspiration uh, beneath the title, I've seen that compassion changes lives, transforms lives, and changes the trajectory of people's lives. I've seen people on that hospital bed that did not have the willpower to continue, and showing them a little compassion, as one of my patients put it beautifully, said, when you don't have the strength to fight for yourself and someone else shows you compassion, it inspires you to care for yourself and get wow. better. So I truly believe in the healing power of compassion. If you have no resources, if you have no medications, if you have no medical skills, if you've never read a book, if you don't have a support program, just look within and tap into that powerful, intrinsic power of compassion and you will change lives. I guarantee it. 
Wow, that's that's the headline. That is the statement that can change lives right now and can give nursing careers a whole new look on life and caregivers as well. Uh, you talked about uh, loving uh, analogies, and I just wanted to mention that at the time uh, that Jesus did that as well. He used parables. And on that note, we will take another break, so we'll be right back. Don't go away. Our featured speaker is a best-selling author who has written numerous books and articles. He's a speaker, life coach, and host of Dave, the Caregiver's Caregiver radio program. He frequently appears on television and radio shows all across the country and has even shared the stage with Suzanne Summers at Harvard. But his most important role is caregiver to his beautiful wife, Charlene, for over 22 years. Please welcome Mr. Dave Nassani! I want to share with you a love story. In a couple of weeks, my wife and I will be celebrating 44 years of being together. My wife, Charlene, and I had a fairy tale, storybook, romance, courtship, and marriage for the first 21 years of our lives together. One day out of nowhere, my wife has a headache, the headache of her life. She suffered a massive stroke, and it left her severely speech impaired and paralyzed on the right side. And in that moment, our world turned upside down. I gotta tell you, the next two years was like a living hell. I just didn't know what to do. I felt guilty most of the time. I became a caregiver. I didn't even know what a caregiver was. I was experiencing the same problems that other caregivers experience. If you don't take care of you, I can't take care of her. That's why I wrote the book. Now I can teach other caregivers. I'm living proof that you can thrive as a caregiver. My wife and I travel now all over the world sharing our story. One day life is going to call upon you to be the captain of your boat. Heck, you might be saving your own life. Thank you. Yeah. And we're back on the Caregiver Dave show with Pantea. Pantea. Vahidi. Did I say that right? I love how you do this little shoulder dance. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's the Middle Eastern in you. <laughs> the shoulder dance. <laughs> You're funny. Um, and I love that title, Hurt People, Hurt People. You know, always looking for a great title for a book, and that is just a, a number 10 times 10. Anyway, back to our interview. Um what do you believe that every caregiver should do to be well-equipped to care for somebody, right? Every, every worker needs a toolbox with tools in it. What is the caregiver toolbox, and what kind of tools should the caregiver be equipped with to be a great caregiver? To be well-equipped, aside from the importance of having support system and a guide, um, the thing that I really want to emphasize on that saves lives is knowledge. That's all I can say. It's knowledge. It's to inform yourself, educate yourself, find the appropriate knowledge about the disease process of the person you're caring for. That doesn't just change lives. It saves lives. And I say it saves lives because I've seen it saves lives. I had a coaching client, and um, it was a mother, 
that was caring for her son who was uh, suffering from schizophrenia and a lot of other uh, comorbidities that went with it. And as I was working with her, one day on a call, I was telling her about the signs of being suicidal. And she shared with me that her son has stopped eating. And I, when we talked a little more, I told her, from what you're telling me, your son is actually severely depressed and suicidal. You should seek help and you should also be aware of it. And she's like, oh no, I uh, um, made him breakfast this morning. I made him eggs and he ate it and uh, he's not suicidal and he is actually fine. And I said, from what you're describing to me, that sounds like a severely depressed suicidal person that's actively suicidal, so you need to call for help. And I said, would you mind going and checking the trash can in the kitchen um, to see if he truly ate the eggs you made him? And she went and checked and came back and said, wow, the eggs are in the trash can. He didn't mm. eat. And I said, you're not going to take your eyes off of him. You're going to call for help. You're going to call the dad. And you're not going to leave his sight. He is actively suicidal. Long mm. story short, I don't want to bore you with the details. The next day she called me and she said, my son said he wants to go get coffee because of what you had told me. I followed him as he was walking with my car. I noticed him going to a gas station, bought gasoline, came back to the house, was about to pour it on himself and set himself on oh, fire wow. when I immediately ran and called 911. And she told me that if it wasn't because of the awareness that you gave me and the insight and the knowledge, I would have been in la-la land and I would have thought that, oh no, he's eating, he's not suicidal. I can't emphasize the importance of equipping yourself with knowledge about the disease process, not just the physical aspects of it, but the emotional aspects of it, what that person is going through. You know, we talked about dementia and Alzheimer's. People who have dementia and Alzheimer's go through behavioral disturbances. Their behavior changes. They get angry. They get aggressive. There's mm -hmm. literature and research on aggression and Alzheimer's. Educate yourself or go to someone who has the knowledge. Seek the advice of someone with knowledge about mm -hmm. that disease process. Google is great. I use it all the time, but you can't rely on Google for your caregiving journey because you're playing with life and death. You need the insight of someone who has the knowledge and has the experience. That, to me, is your number one tool that you need for your process and your journey of caregiving. You need to be equipped with knowledge, with information, and that's just not some surface knowledge. It's deep knowledge. Wow. Can't believe how fast time is going. We've only got like five minutes left, so I'm going to let you decide what you want to speak about in that last five minutes. 
because there's so much that I wanted to get to, but time is the enemy. It sure is. Um, I just wanted to point out that the Hurt People, Hurt People that I told you mm -hmm. is a book, and it's, I forget the author's name, unfortunately, and um, it's a very short read, and it's very powerful, um, and I recommend people reading it. But even if you don't read it, just that phrase in and of itself mm -hmm. is self-explanatory and powerful. What will someone walk away with after they read that book? Um, what they would walk away with is what I touched on earlier, to look at people that you think are trying to hurt you or be angry or aggressive as someone who's truly hurting and suffering. And when so you, you'll give them grace. You'll give them grace. Thank you. That's, mm. that's beautifully said. You'll give them grace. And going back to those, one of my favorite sentences, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. And as I watch television and see all the looting and demonstrating and tearing statues down, uh, that is what we need. Grace that is, for each other. That is because absolutely these people what we need. must be hurting. <laughs> they are hurting. If you look at anyone who's acting out as someone who's hurting, it'll change your reaction. So I'll just take the last couple of minutes, like you suggested, um, and I hope this sits with someone out there. I feel for you. I ache for you on this journey. It could be a very lonely journey. It could be a very confusing, overwhelming journey. One of the things that I did that really helped and I suggested to others is to stay inspired. When you study the great leaders who have been through adversities and not only they've survived but they've thrived like you yourself, Dave, it inspires you and makes you believe that you can do the same thing. I delved into reading a lot of books, a lot of research. I looked on quotes that literally took me through this journey. One of my favorite quotes, um, aside from the Wayne Dyer one, is, you know, we all deal with self-guilt and self-doubt on this journey. And anytime I would look back at my caregiving journey and beat myself up, or making a mistake or not doing great, the words of Dr. Maya Angelou really helped me. When you know better, you do better. Mm. <laughs> right. And there's no blame. Yes, you may be responsible for a lot of the things on, the, on this journey, but blaming people never helps. And the last thing I want to touch on is forgiveness and the power of forgiveness. And this forgiveness is towards yourself, towards others, towards the person you're taking care of. If they have difficult days and they're not at their best behavior, forgive them. If you've had a tough day and you couldn't function optimally and you weren't your best self, forgive yourself. Have grace on yourself. And those will make your caregiving journey a lot easier. 
I like I told you this is a passion of mine it's not just something yes. I do and I would <laughs> love to support your audience in any way that I can and actually for COVID um, as my contribution to the relief you know a lot of people donate masks and money and people send pizza for to our hospital all the time which is wonderful and generous but I've basically put my knowledge and experience and expertise out there and for the month of July I actually do uh, free group coaching for caregivers wow. wow very very generous of you that's awesome how can someone get a hold of you and take advantage of that great great offer um, they can go to my website it's pontaavahidi.com uh, and there's a link they click on it, they fill out a form, and I, um, I will email them back with information on the times of the coaching calls. And I will also send them a little gift, a PDF guide of a few tools to have in their toolkit that mm -hmm. could help them on this lonely journey. And if that's too complicated, <laughs> you know, just shoot me an email, info at pontaavahidi.com and I will get back to you and for all of July it's my gift to any caregiver or healthcare worker out there to support them and guide them and make them the hero of their own story. Yeah and if you can't remember any of that uh, just go to caregiverdave.com and I'll connect you. Thank you so much. What a great guest. What a great show. You're awesome. Thank you so much for coming on, and thank you. Uh, you've changed me. I'm I'm a better person from listening to you. You that, are awesome. And that is, let me know when that book comes out because I want to read it. What's the title again going to be? The Alchemy of Compassion. The Alchemy of Compassion, taught by the master of compassion herself. Thank you thank so you, much Dave. for coming on the show. God bless you. Thank you so much for this opportunity and for sharing your platform. I hope this conversation touches one person out there. And if it just sits with one person, I would consider it a success. It's our pleasure. And uh, I will share with you the Facebook Live link so you can share it on all your social media as well. And the edited show, audio and video. Thanks so much. God bless you. Bye-bye. Sometimes it feels like the sun will never rise, like the birds will never sing.